0: absolutely learn a lot from the financial market and if the first thing I could do is get people off this train, people come in actually learning content and learning about where markets are headed, not being a passenger but being in the driver's seat.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors, find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Tyrone Shump in this episode of Property Investory, we continue the conversation with CEO of Oasis Property, Gavin McPherson. With over 40 properties in his portfolio, he'll share about the people who have inspired him in his property investing journey and most importantly, the strategy he has used to create wealth. As Macpherson shares, he believes his property investing method of accumulating wealth was quite easy to apply.
0: To some degree, and made people uh, and start to believe now that once you have as many properties as you do, um, it starts to become a little bit punitive. Collecting properties, and if anyone who read my book has got the story out of it, collecting properties is not the mission. It's about collecting money. Now let's let's forget the moral argument of collecting money, whether that's right or wrong. Let's just say we are collecting money. So property is just a vehicle. So my point is. I suppose at the start, I thought property was an easier way to get there. And I still believe that. So nothing's changed in that. And what I mean by that is, um, so to, to give you a, a, a contrarian point of view, I suppose right now, if I sat right now with everything I'm investing in, I can tell you with absolute confidence that I do not believe that property is the best thing, that will will perform the best thing in my portfolio in 2017. However, the difference with that is with property is that I can take $100,000 and I can borrow $900,000, which makes a million. And if the market goes up by 10%, I've actually got a 100% return on investment. Obviously, forgetting my friction cost. Let's understand the friction cost in there as well. But just understand the notion. Let's let's execute that to another investment. And if I could be so bold, I'm a bigger um, – some people would know I'm a big commodity investor right now. Um I've got something close to a couple of million bucks in a uranium mine. That sounds bizarre, and some people are not encouraging people at all to get themselves into uranium. However, I believe over the next 12 months, that will be a much better investment. Now, my point is, however, every single dollar of that uranium investment, every single one, is cold hard cash. Okay, $2 million property, I might only have four or $500,000 up for grabs. So to go back to that. Actual first point is that property has leverage going for it. Do not pretend. I think people are kidding themselves if they think that property is the best performing vehicle out there, because it unequivocally is not. And I'd say almost in, in no uncertain terms, since 1901, property is outstri- strict inflation by between one and two percent. That's good. That's great. And but it's excellent with leverage. So all we actually should be talking about here is leverage. Now, um, so look, I'm not sure whether that answers the question or not, but. With regards to um, where I see property, um, I probably, I probably now I don't have disdain for it. Please, don't, it's been, property has been very, very, very good to me. Um, but I'm probably more inclined now to be a divester of property rather than an investor of property. And I don't mean to say I'm going to sell on my investors, that's not what I'm saying but um, when you get to a certain level, it doesn't make sense to necessarily carry you know, 40, 50 properties under your arm, uh, pay all your holding taxes.
1: Although having a mentor has not worked for him personally, there are multiple people who have inspired him. In addition to certain resources which he has used to educate himself on the industry he says diversifying your resources is paramount.
0: Okay, I always encourage people; they must read the book. Um, the trick to money is having some by a gentleman called Stuart Wilde. That's the first thing. And I will I will never. Now, I will never say mentor. And let me say something very, very contrarian because I know this goes against the grain for a lot of people. Okay, uh, and let me give you an example as well because I don't think I'm. I think for some people, a mentor can be very, very um, helpful. However. People have to be very careful to understand that I I see mentors as a bit of a danger because I I, and the reason I say that is because I believe you need to look within for your own mentor. You need to be that person that changes yourself and eventually get to a certain level, or you know, you realize the humanity of the mentor. uh, You know, they have their own um, quirks and they have their own problems. They have their own issues, and sometimes it breaks down what we think about them. The point I'm trying to make is, um, I take tips from people. That I can absolutely disagree with on 99 things, but I think they have one great pearl of wisdom, and I take that pearl of wisdom. The perfect individual doesn't exist, and and the perfect investment doesn't exist. To give you an example, everyone would know who's read my book, I love Warren Buffett, to the extent that he's, you know, he only really applies five or ten rules to his whole life and makes him, you know, the second, third most richest person on earth, and certainly the most richest, richest investor on earth. Having said that, I, I really, I actually despise a lot of his political leanings and political—not uh, even leanings, but political understanding. I think he's actually almost primary school age in the way that he understands the world, and that sounds like a remarkable statement. But that's my opinion. So I, I suppose I, I try and suggest to them that these people are the ones that are creating their own future, and if they can get a good tip off, Susie, that's great. But to consider, you know, Susie, for instance, a mentor and everything—it uh, just hasn't worked for me. Having said that, I know you're looking for some cues. I go to, uh, there's a gentleman called Frank Duster. Now, Frank Duster, I'd say almost no one knows anything about uh, in, in this country, but he's a billionaire out of Canada. Uh, he owns a company called also Lionsgate. My, my point being Frank, he's an incredible guy, uh, he's an economist as well, so it, it certainly shows um, you know, the amount of deliberation and has got some amazing lessons and it's taught me certainly now to start to look at what makes the world tick. Uh, our three biggest leading indicators of our economy are China, USA, and Europe. You could absolutely learn a lot from the financial market. And if the first thing that I could do is get people locked off this train, actually learning content and learning about where markets are headed, not being a passenger, but being in the driver's seat, I want these people to pick up the Australian every weekend. I want them to pick up the financial review every day. I want them to read Late Line every night. To listen to Late Line on Channel Two every night. I want them to to invest themselves into actual um, financial markets, not just locally but globally, and understand that we're leaders. Here. Oh, sorry, we're followers here. We're not leaders. So I'm expecting these people, um, you know, that some of these investors, and hopefully some of your listeners, start to listen to this and sort of, you know, man up to the occasion because. Yeah. This is pretty tough times ahead, and, and, and if people can. And when I say tough times, anytime there's uh, tough times for some people, there's opportunity for others. So let's turn your, you know, your listeners into those that are opportunists.
1: McPherson found property investment inspiration from a range of sources, including his surrounding family and even the most powerful man in America
0: you're probably not going to believe this because it's just absolute coincidence. Um, Donald Trump's book didn't didn't hurt the situation. Put it that way. Donald <laughs> Trump had a book out a long time ago. so it was, and, and, and I should say, I should also mention, I have, I have family who are property developers, so it certainly not, wasn't foreign to me. I knew that was the, was the ability to make a lot of money doing it. Um, and as much as, obviously, I mentioned my parents and, and their interests, we were certainly always circling around property, let me say tradesmen and builders, et cetera. So I knew I knew by virtue and, – and actually, if I can give myself another compliment, um, if, 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 um, if I'm allowed, sure, I'm very good sure. with my hands. I'm very good with my hands. I think I really enjoy actually building myself. So I know most trades. And when I say I can do most trades, I mean, I, I prefer not to, of course, but it helps to have across the board. I could – you know you could pretty much sit there and not be fleeced by a builder uh, preparing a contract for you and go inside every day. And that that's a real powerful tool to go inside every day and – and know actually the the order of business and things should be going, and that that that's something that I learned pretty much even before twenty uh, and to have that skill set um, behind you and know the effort a it probably taught me enough to know that it was the job wasn't for me, but b it taught me to know at least that, that was a vehicle um, through which you had to bear uh, the cost of or either or either the effort of which is dealing with builders um, to get through. To dovetail that into the conversation about what maybe me want to develop, I, I, I do remember, you know, I, I think it was probably more an um, influence of my uncle. Um, as I mentioned, I do remember, and, and I remember even where I read the book, uh, which is in Sydney Library, uh, Donald Trump's book, <laughs> um, which is uh, – um, and I can't remember the because he wrote a few, but one of them might have been The Art of the Deal – it uh, was a book he wrote in the mid '90s, mm. and that certainly resonated with me. At least from I, I found from point of negotiation, which I think suited my um, my demeanour or my um, my skill set, maybe perhaps my communication skills, and I thought that's something I could deliver. And um, so, what I did effectively to to explain, I went to Gladstone on the back of of, of um, basically putting all my investments that I'd made prior, just good investments, solid investments, in Sydney, mind you, um, when I was young. So since I pretty much could afford a mortgage, I got a mortgage. And I parlayed those profits, or that equity, into three sites in Gladstone. Uh, One of those was a block of units. One of those was called as almost a boarding house, I suppose you would say, only on one title, but getting me significant rent. And one of those was a house. Um, and and to, to, to cut a long story short and maybe to give some advice, and this is, this is where I want to remind myself now to finish up the conversation with you about cash flow, um, I thought I could develop and just be a developer from day dot. And what I realized is, and the biggest mistake I made, is that I thought I was going to demolish these house, which I did, and I thought I was going to get a DA within six to eight weeks. And I don't know why I thought that. I thought perhaps because I did make a few trips to council. I met the mayor because I you know, explained the investments that myself and my family were making in the town at that time. And for some reason, I thought this might have been the 1970s and maybe he was, I don't know, maybe his hands were under the table looking for a paper, brown paper bag that weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't there. And in any event, in any event, I was left without a DA for call at eight, ten months. Um, but me being the fool I was, I knocked down two of those places pretty much immediately. No cash flow.
1: McPherson shares a very important lesson and looking back in hindsight, he wants us to not make the same mistake.
0: The, uh, the cash flow that was necessary um, to keep that going. Was my biggest downfall and why why it didn't stay as a developer. With thirty thousand dollars coming out of my month, uh, out of my pocket every month, I at least needed an income of fifty to one hundred thousand dollars at least to see this thing through, which I didn't have at the time because I said I'm just going to be a developer. So, my point is is if people don't like their job before they make that excursion and decide to quit their job and go and buy sixty four properties in the bush, right? <laughs> I, I think I really think they'd be they'd they'd owe it to themselves and maybe take a holiday first. Right? and spend the money on themselves, and maybe just even consider either finding some other changes in the organisation or some changes to an industry that they actually did enjoy. Because it's one thing, even as wealthy as I'm, I, I'm now, it's one of those things I don't um, I don't expect to go from where I want to be in three years' time. If I tried to do that tomorrow, I would go broke, and that's almost anyone who's ambitious and trying to get to the next stage, you know, uh, in their life. So cash flows cash flow is very important and, and I would you know, I'd be the last person to suggest your clients or your, your listeners went out and quit their jobs tomorrow to become investors because you need cash flow and so finding that cash flow vehicle is really important and like I said at the start of this interview is I look, I make my money from investing and so someone might say to me, well, why don't you just give up your job? In fact, I had the question yesterday why don't you just give up the job and be a professional investor and the bottom line is um, as good an investor as I am, I know that three years out of ten, it's still going to be bad times, and I have to suffer through those. And I need income. And the other thing I learned is when you are a business person and/or an investor, or you can almost call them the same, because an investor is still a business person, you make terrible, terrible decisions when you do not have money coming in your bank account, and those decisions do not make for wise um, for future profit growth. <laughs>
1: Coming up after the break, we'll delve into McPherson's strategy.
0: I look at things that that, that, that smell. Because, in short, I'm looking for great assets when there's no buyers.
1: How it's important to always have a backup strategy.
0: The cure for high prices is high prices.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Are you looking at buying or investing in property? Don't panic, property is still a great investment. Is it now the time to buy, sell or hold? Find out from Australia's leading industry experts on how to take advantage of today's market. You'll learn the secrets to renovating for profit or gain the knowledge, skills and motivation to invest at the First Home Buyers Masterclass plus much, much more. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, you can't miss the Sydney Property Buy Expo on the 7th. 8th and 9th of September. Use the promo code PI for a 3-day free pass valued at $50. For tickets and more information, visit propertybuyexpo.com.au. Having grown his portfolio to over 40 properties, McPherson has formulated a clear strategy for investing in property. He also acknowledges that sometimes the hardest thing to do as an investor is nothing at all.
0: I buy low every single time, every single time. And when I say that, I don't just mean uh, a property in today, which I believe is an overpriced market in Sydney, Melbourne, for instance, at a million dollars and pick it up for 900 because I believe even 900 is too expensive in, say, a year and a half, two years' time. What I'm saying is I look for things that are in the toilet, whole industries, property, uranium, iron ore, banking, don't care where. I look for things that that that, that smell, because in short, I'm looking for great assets when there's no buyers. That's that simple. So that's the first story. Um, to take that to another level, if the market in you know across an industry, uranium, it might be 500% down. In property, it might be 10-15% down. When it's in that environment already, then I go around and I make sure I shave another 10% off that already, which I call my margin of safety. So irrespective of whether I hold that property as a core asset, meaning forever, or I trade it, either way I'm covered. Now, now what happens is, it's a coincidence, but it's a beautiful coincidence, that when you're buying things at the bottom of the market, you'll find that their yields are particularly high. Let's say $185,000 for, or, or even something, something in Sydney, I'll go back to 2012. Uh, two bedroom, one bath, one car in Coogee, five six five. And I think everyone would acknowledge uh, around about the eastern board that Coogee Beach, two bedroom, one bath, one car, five six five is a great is a great property, and six hundred and fifty dollars per week return. Okay. Now, obviously, as we all know, uh, four, four years later, call it end of two thousand sixteen. Now where we are, two thousand seventeen. That property is worth nine hundred thousand. Mm. However, that yield has now gone down to five eighty. Now I'm not crying in my wheaties over that because I paid five sixty five. Okay, because obviously, as more property gets, as markets go up and more property gets supplied, and investors put stock onto the market, the tenants to occupy rents go down. But either way, I, th- I think the analogy, or the the example, is really clear. Purchase five sixty five, now worth nine hundred, only renting for five eighty, but picked it up at six fifty rent. Um, that's all I do. It's a really simple formula and, and right now, um, with, with few, few exceptions, I don't buy into New Melbourne. Um, so it's one of those, that, that's the lesson I think we had in the last podcast which is sometimes one of the hardest things to do as an investor is nothing.
1: In a situation where you have purchased a property in a declining market and it's not improving, McPherson shares with us his tactics including the importance of having a backup plan.
0: This for me is that moment if anyone's ever driven a manual car and it just clicks. Okay, I want everyone to listen. This is so important, Tyrone. Let me say this the cure for high prices is high prices, and the cure for low prices is low prices. Now, that might mean nothing to people or everything to people, but let me play this out. Okay, so let's just go with that. I pick it up at 185, and what you're effectively saying is so, what I'm trying to say is let's go with Gold Coast 2007 and 8. Okay. Prices were too high, people were beating prices out. Now, that creates an environment where everyone's putting new stock on the market because everyone's encouraged to do so, correct? Correct. Okay, we had an oversupply. However, that oversupply, after creating that situation where we had oversupply and prices dropped to such an amount, that people were not incentivized to build any new property for another nine years. Okay? Now, that creates an environment where eventually, right, the prices get down so low... Right, that no more stock has been built. Okay, mm. and that can happen. Anyway. I could apply this to muffins. Okay, eventually, if you take sugar and, and, and um, I should know the ingredients, but I don't. Egg and water and flour. I'm imagining to put into a muffin, yeah. Yeah. and and they all cost you a dollar thirty-five, and the market only pays you a dollar. What that means is people who do that for a living will not make muffins anymore. Yeah, and the ones that are currently doing it, that have muffin projects on the go, they will go bust. And over a very short period of time, eventually that will mean no muffins get created for an extended period of time. Now, muffins being a really poor example, but let's pretend it's property. If I'm wrong, and prices don't go up in Gold Coast, okay, what that means is there's no incentive to put extra product in the market. So eventually, those properties that people are holding, especially with interstate migration, the Gold Coast that there is, okay, all it just means is you're going to be holding a property for three sixty-five, and your rent's going to go from four hundred to four fifty to five hundred. To 550 to 600. So how is that a bad thing? So it's a back.
1: It's basically you've got a backup strategy behind it. If if something goes wrong with the purchase.
0: Now, having said that, I was very disingenuous in saying that. Very. Let me let me explain because markets don't function that way. Because when returns get to about a four and a half five percent yield, the market recognizes that and closes the gap, just like they're doing right now.
1: Yeah. If that makes
0: sense. You get, to, you get a property, you buy it for $365, you are getting $350, 365 a week rent for it. Eventually, the market wakes up because they're, paying, they're getting a 2% return in Sydney and they go, oh, I'll go Gold Coast. And eventually, so take it, put it another way. Let's, let's got a million-dollar block of land. We've got a million-dollar block of land and forget the friction cost for a moment. Let's just wrap that up in the land of a million dollars. Let's put a $500,000 house on top equals 1.5. So let me ask you, Tyrone, if the, market, if, I, if the market came up and only paid you 1.3 for it, what would you do as a developer?
1: Probably. You would go bust. Yep, I'd go bust.
0: And you wouldn't do it in the future if you were a developer on the sidelines thinking about it. Eventually, that happens for so long, people come on your door and go, well, what if I could do 1.6 for it? In short, what you have to remember is when, when you're getting a high yield, there's not enough property. And I know I, I, it might not sound like it, but I know I'm answering your question there. Insofar as, what if the price doesn't go up? That's really easy. That just means with the people that are still moving in the, because I'm taking the underlying uh, principle, of course, that I go into areas where I know migration is going to be in the right direction. We're talking areas where we know which have a, a highly predisposed to upward growth. So as long as we take that premise, we know that in the future, without enough dwellings, rents are going up.
1: Exercising is a big part of McPherson's life and contributes to his state of mind which in turn, aids him in his success.
0: I mean I used to exercise uh, 1000 k's a week on the bike, 130, 140 k's running, probably probably not that much swimming but I was a good swimmer anyway, uh, maybe 15, 20 or so. I know 20 is a bit too much actually um, in my old days so I do a lot of exercise so every morning I'm on my stand-up paddleboard. Every single morning without fail, um, I jump, on, I, I then swim straight after it. And I may run that might sound like a lot to a lot of people, but that 's kind of just my morning like I get that over and done with off by at six thirty um, and then once that 's done, I usually because my the gym's across the road from where I work, um, I go to the gym twice a day that is just for me a place of mind when I feel healthy and I feel strong, um, I take that into my working life, and I really I embrace that now and i 'll be honest with you, this is probably the downside of that I actually got quite I do, I do suffer from depression, and that 's probably a a personal thing I don't always enjoy telling people but I've come past a full circle and I know, I just know now whether I, when I don't inject those things in my life, um, that just um, amplifies any any depression I would ever have a chance of getting. So um, exercise is a must for me.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and would like to reach out and connect with McPherson, here's how you can do that.
0: I get probably about two, three emails a week. Um, where people would just email at info at oasisproperty.com.au and they would just thank me for the lessons they might have learned from my book. And to a man, almost every single one of those people, at least when they're local, I I try and make an effort to catch up with them. Uh, Almost every single one of those persons cannot afford our fees. So it's certainly, I, I never fish for business. They're certainly uh, welcome to ring our hotline, uh, 870 or 2 8705 That's our Sydney number, but it will get through to our other offices as well. And, and the one thing, and I think, you know what, I think at this stage in business, it, it, um, I, I'm actually happy to ask for people's business in this sense, because what I mean by that is is um, we have four prongs to our business. Uh, We have a mortgage broking broking arm, we have a property management arm, we have a legal division and we also do buyer's agency. But to start up and use our buyer's agency is a $9,680 service just to start. However, for people that do use that service, um, that's a client for life so you're welcome to come. If they want to contact us through those numbers or email or just our website www.oasisproperty.com.au.
1: Thank you to Gavin McPherson, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Simply type in the search bar Gavin McPherson and select that episode to learn more about his story. Also are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the property investment buying handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.